Hello, this is Overdrive, a program that looks at the purpose of and the passion for trains, planes and automobiles. I'm David Brown, and in this program we have some news stories including Jaguar F-Type goes all V8 and Peugeot goes for plug-in hybrids and an extended feature on the comments arising at the launch of the new Kia Sportage, not just about the vehicle, but about the state of the industry, just how complex it is to tune the suspension to Australian conditions, and features that may not be mentioned in every road test, but can be very impressive to customers. And in quirky news, we have a story about extending your camper van into a permanent residence when parked on a residential street. There's more information at drivenmedia.com.au and you can listen to podcasts of the programs on Spotify and iTunes. But let's get this program going. First, the news. Last week, the Motor Manufacturers Industry Body, the FCAI, said that the 8.1 decline in sales in October compared to last year represented the impact of ongoing microprocessor shortages. But they added that the supply of vehicles to Australia is expected to stabilise in 2022. They did not clarify what level of stabilisation would be achieved. At the launch this week of the new Sportage medium SUV, Kia's Chief Operating Officer, Damien Meredith, had a more measured prediction. Look, I think globally uh, we're, we're still in uh, for a tough run for the next 12, 14 months. Yeah. David, yeah. How does that affect you? Does it mean you get some vehicles that you might not uh, be your first choice? Well, it means that uh, we don't get some of the vehicles that we want specifically, so not convoluting things, but uh, specifically we've got 10 models now and the majority of those uh, vehicles and models are, are hard to get. The fifth-generation Kia Sportage medium-sized SUV has just been launched in Australia. It has distinctive looks that break away from the many off-the-shelf trendy design elements of some other vehicles. Increases in exterior dimensions translates into an 8% increase in the second-row legroom and a 16.5% larger boot storage area. There are three powertrain options. A 2.0-litre petrol engine with two-wheel drive in manual or automatic, a 1.6-litre turbo with all-wheel drive and a 7-speed dual-clutch gearbox, this is the most fun to drive, and a 2-litre diesel with a large amount of torque, all-wheel drive and an 8-speed automatic. The top-of-the-range GT line gets the most commentary from the marketing department, especially the cinematic infotainment screen that appears to flow into the screens for the driver's information. Both screens are over 12 inches in size. Drive-away prices range from $34,700 to $55,000. Automated parking seems a clever piece of technology in some modern cars, but do customers have confidence in trusting the vehicle's ability to act on its own? It's a feature that has some fascination, but also some cynicism, because of the perception of how readily customers will adapt to new technology. Kia's General Manager of Marketing, Dean Norbieto, knows to ask the users. Based on the research that we've done in the interviews with drivers, the adoption has been quite quick. Mm. Yeah, it has, it has been quite quick. And the usage, in terms of feedback that we get direct with customers, 
has been really positive, like in terms of even the dealer network and talking to our dealer network about what are the really important new features that help sell a car, the remote smart park has been absolutely categorically number one. Seriously? Without question, number one. The F-Type Jaguar's elegant sports car will now be sold only with a V8 in Australia. Power from the 5-litre supercharged V8 will range from 331 kilowatts to a massive 423 kilowatts. Jaguar Australia's James Scrimshaw says that having a hero car has long been part of Jaguar's heritage. Oh, it's always been uh, lovely to have a part of our sports car range, and it has been for some time. We had the XK before we had the F-Type. So we've always had a vehicle like this in our range, you know, all the way back to the E-Type, if you want to go back that far, and before that, the C-Type and the D-Type. But it's really nice to have a, a car like this, both coupe and convertible. In fact, we launched it as a convertible and have always had convertible in the range. So the coupe is, is the main volume for us. It's just a beautiful silhouette. Uh, anyone that's seen the F-Type always said it's one of the most beautiful cars they've ever seen. Chloe Fraser from vehicle distributor Inchcape says that Peugeot Australia is taking its first steps towards electrification in this country. We're thrilled to announce that we will be bringing the Peugeot 3008 GT Sport plug-in hybrid all-wheel drive and also the Peugeot 508 GT Fastback plug-in hybrid to the Australian market in Q1 next year. The 3008 plug-in hybrid, you can travel up to 60 kilometres of electric driving range and for the 508, it's up to 55 kilometres of electric driving range, depending upon your driving style and, and environmental conditions, of course. The 3008 hybrid medium-sized SUV is priced at $80,000 plus on-road costs, with an all-wheel drive variant and 222 kilowatts of power from the petrol engine and two electric motors, one at the front, one at the rear. It will have a new 8-speed automatic transmission. And that has been the news. The fifth generation Kia Sportage has just been launched in Australia. Distinctive looks amongst competition that has many off-the-shelf trendy design elements. A very modern cinematic infotainment and driver information screens on the top model, more room inside and improved powertrains. The medium SUV segment is the second largest category of vehicles in the Australian market, behind the ever-increasing four-wheel drive utes. By comparison, the medium-sized passenger car market is only the 10th largest category and is dwarfed by the smaller passenger segment, which includes Corollas, Hyundai i30, Kia Sorento and quite a few others. It is even smaller than the light car segment, including MG3, the Kia Rio, the Volkswagen Polo, the Toyota Yaris and others. Kia's marketing general manager, Dean Norbieto, knows that this SUV segment is large, but also varied. There is a wide variety of people who purchase this car. It's not easy to just narrow it in and say this is the one target market, this is the one market. So you need to have different flavours and tastes to cater for the wide variety of people, whether it's grandma who buys the car, who looks after the, the grandkids, or whether it's mum and dad who are in their late 20s, early 30s, who are buying the car to look after their kids, or later in life in their mid-40s with some young kids. So it's real widespread in the medium SUV. It is the sweet spot, um, and we think that we found a package in a car um, that can cater for all of those. Um, and from a marketing standpoint, we're looking to cater to a wide variety of people. Alan Zervis from Gay Carboys has some passionate feelings about the exterior looks and the interior design. 
Alan, SUVs often look rather bland, particularly at the rear end. Is this uh, new Sportage better? Do you think that they've made some good styling choices? I think it's daring, and I think it's going to take me a little while to get used to, but yes, I think they've made good choices. What they've done is make it stand out from the rest of the crowd. There's nothing else that looks like that. In what way? I think at the front, they particularly the lights out of that squinty look, but more have a boomerang shape around it, that sort of thing. Yeah, the daytime running lights are fairly strong V-shape, which kind of points to the middle of the car. Uh, the grill, of course, is is incredibly strong as well, though they still call it a tiger nose grill. I struggle to see the tiger nose bit, to be honest. Previously, their style was a bit bow tie, wasn't it? Very much. That uh, the grills on the front, this now extends across the whole front. And there's two types. There's a, a slightly more subtle lower grill in the bottom two models, but gee, I struggle to tell the difference. I think when you're hit with something that strong, a couple of little changes to the lower bumper doesn't make all that much difference. At the back, they actually use two-tone, not aggressive to paint uh, tones, but one of almost like a light grey sort of approach to it. How do you find that? I like it. Well, what that does, of course, it's, a, it's meant to be a negative space, so it's meant to make the back of or, or, you know, whatever it's covering, it's meant to make that disappear into the distance. And I think that does it successfully. It makes the rear end of the car look quite small. Okay, but it's also not just flat and bland. Well, it's not flat and bland even without the black. The, the bit just below the window, is it sticks out quite a lot. But it's not a spoiler. This, that's, that's at the top where the windscreen wiper is. It's, uh, it conceals the windscreen wiper. I think it suits the new badge particularly well. Oh, that new badge, hated it when it first came out, but it seems to now look like it's making a statement rather than just an advertising branding. Yeah, well, I think as they pointed out at the launch, could you imagine the old badge on this car? And frankly, I can't. And it's not like great walls and that looks like the cowboy bell buckle sort of thing on, on a set of trousers. It looks like it is actually something that's been crafted carefully. And I think what they've done is they've tried to get a new, because they knew these designs were coming out, they've tried to get something that looks at home on these new, dare I say, cutting edge design. Because remember, this is pegged against something like Toyota's RAV4. Mm. And in comparison, the RAV4 looks quite old-fashioned. RAV4 follows almost the trends, whereas I think this is really trying to set its own space. Well, it's created its own look. Well, they said at the launch that, that there were parts of the design that were meant to make it stand out and that it's not following the Sorrento, uh, what's the other one, Seltos and uh, Carnival, which is a particularly kind of square and boxy design. This is square and boxy with bits disguising the squareness and the boxiness. And I think it's so clever. I particularly like the side moulding, the, the kind of gentle flow, which, as you and I have often commented, suits the front and the back. Whereas, it, you know, it doesn't look like the back and the front are just, you know, the side's just there to stop the back and the front from falling in on each other. The new Sportage comes with three engines, all with different gearboxes. The entry level is a two-litre petrol non-turbocharged. It's the only model in two-wheel drive and comes with either a six-speed manual or six-speed automatic. 
reasonable power and moderate torque. It is not available in top GT line specification. Then there's the 1.6 litre turbo with all-wheel drive and a 7-speed dual-clutch gearbox. More power and torque, but this combination is only available in the two top specifications, the SX Plus and the GT Line. And finally, there is the 2-litre diesel with all-wheel drive and an 8-speed automatic gearbox. Similar power to the turbo petrol, but heaps more torque. Available in all four specification levels, the diesel is the only powertrain with the terrain select mode, giving additional traction setups for snow, mud and sand conditions. The increases in exterior dimensions from the previous model are 176mm longer, 85mm longer wheelbase, 10mm wider and up to 25mm higher depending on the model. This translates into an 8% increase in the second row legroom, an extra 68mm and 16.5% larger boot storage area, up to 547 litres with the rear seats up and 1,829 with the rear seat backs folded down. The first three specification levels have a good, more typical digital screen and gear selectors, but it is the top-of-the-range GT line that gets most of the marketing attention from Kia. Interior. It has evoked words like cinematic look. I'm not quite sure I'd agree with cinematic. I don't quite know where, they've, where they got that from. It sounds more like PR speak to me, but what I would call it is stylish and comfortable and elegant. It uses wide screens where the mid-middle of the dash infotainment screen blends into, it seems to almost extend, although it, they are different screens, into that, that in front of the driver. And so that's its cinematic sort of a look. It's a curved screen for a start, which I think is just remarkable. Uh, we've seen similar to that in Mercedes-Benz, but not something in a dare I say, more entry-level model, more affordable model. It's curved, but the passengers can still see the infotainment screen quite easily. You're right, it's two individual 12.3-inch LCD monitors. I think it looks absolutely spectacular. And that's only on the top model, mind you. The other ones don't have those same screens. What we've seen in the past, whereas the, the new one, the bigger top model one, looks much more... Well, I still use the word cinematic. You know, it has this screen in front of you that captures your attention more than anything. Sometimes it is the little things that count. A feature that has recently appeared in a few Kia and Hyundai models is a voice memo recorder with simple start, pause and stop functions. You can then play it back when you have stopped as a reminder of the things that came to mind. Marketing man Dean understands my appreciation of this feature. Who thought of the idea of having a recorded memo? I love it. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm not sure where the origin comes from, but I can say, like you, I'm a big fan of that because I'm so forgetful. So be, being able to put something on record and then look at it later or listen to it later is really important. And just one of those nice little touches. You know what I like? I like walking up to the car and holding the open button and the windows come down so all the heat can get out of the cabin on a hot, hot summer's day and vice versa when I'm leaving and I've left the windows down and I hold the lock button and the windows go back up. Little details, little features uh, are right through this entire package. 
Motoring journalists who often test cars when they are on their own give considerable attention to the dynamics of the vehicle and can be dismissive of features that other different users may appreciate. Kia's product manager, Roland Rivero, notes that their sounds of nature feature, that you can select soothing sounds such as rain or birds in a forest, is not as cutesy as some might think. Oh, look, I, th- I think everyone's time poor and trying to rush and do all sorts of things at once these days. Definitely customers are appreciating these features. Even little things like we make fun of it, the sounds of nature, it actually helps soothe babies and, and put them to sleep. So the, the ability to talk to the third row with the intercom function, that's also been appreciated by customers. So I think depending on the customer type, but definitely the parents, uh, they're, they're loving some of these features. King Australia goes out of its way to tune suspensions of its vehicles for Australian road conditions. They may see fairly straightforward, but the amount, complexity and the subtleties of the adjustments that can be made are astounding. Graham Gambold is the independent suspension and handling expert whom Kia uses. When we're talking about tuning an electronic power steering software map, which is the assistance curve and how the steering feels in the car, with electronic steering, there are literally 20,000 parameter points that we can change, you know, boost curves, return efforts, um, on-centre build-up, off-centre build-up, you know, all sorts of parameters that we can tune. A bit like tuning fuel injection in a car. We can tune the richness and the cold start assist and all these things, and the steering's the same. In the suspension, it's not so, um, so expensive, although electronic shock absorbers, which we have in our Kia Stinger, we have to tune the shock absorber, which is tune the hydraulic valve and all the valve componentry to get the right fluid dynamics and the right control in the car. And then on top of that, after we've done that, we then have to do a pass, uh, electronic controlled shock absorber map, tuning map, which regulates the valve in the shock absorber to make it harder, softer, based on accelerometers, vertical and lateral accelerometers that are in the car. So we've got to write the software for all those sensor integrations with the actual performance of the damper. So they're complicated and that takes a long time. Not 20,000 parameters, but probably not far off it. But yeah, the, and electric cars, you've got all the drive torque and all that sort of thing. Power, the whole power system's controlled by computers. So you've got to tune all that too. Well, you talk about computers, one almost thinks of artificial intelligence. You just put in the parameters and calculate. You seek to the pants. The haptic and yeah. is still important? Haptic and tactile tuning is what my industry is all about. So it's all mechanical and electronic engineering, but to an end user that is only interested or only feeling the tactile response from the car. So we've got to make that bit like a pilot you know Boeing engineers talk about tuning the the feel of the aircraft which only a pilot will understand but it's when he pulls back on the yoke how does the plane respond and that's all to do with how much hydraulic assistance goes to the flaps and the ailerons and all that sort of thing and to get the plane to have a natural feel so we're the same thing we're talking about the tactile interface between when you turn the steering wheel left, how does the car respond? How does it move through its transient response from going straight ahead to turning? And then how does it settle into the corner for its steady state response? How does it deal with a mid-corner bump? And all those things, we're trying to get that tactile confidence and feedback to the driver to be a confident, comfortable, nice car to drive. And that involves hydraulic damper tuning and electronic systems tuning.
there are no electrification versions in the new Sportage. Nonetheless, Kia say their new model is, quote, inspired by nature and takes on a bold, sophisticated and organic form. How quickly is the market changing? Kia's Chief Operating Officer, Damien Meredith, and Roland Rivero discuss the matter. I think you've used words that emphasise a greenness in your approach. Is the movement to green cars moving quicker than you thought or as you expected? Uh, I'll speak quicker because I think it'll be interesting from a, from a product point of view with, with Roland. No, I think it's uh, happened at the rate that I thought it would happen. I think it could have moved faster. Um, it, it, it should have moved faster in my humble opinion, but maybe I'm a little bit too, cl- too close to it. But it needs help. It can't happen all organically. It can't all be on the OEMs to do, to do that also. So things like infrastructure needs to also come into place. There needs to be some level of support in that regard because it's not easy for, every, for everybody and anybody. If you're not living in a, a single dwelling house with a garage, but you're, you're in an apartment block, for example, it's not that simple. So there are things that I think need to fall into place to make it a lot easier for Australians to, to make that transition. And right now it's not, it's not there yet. But each of the individual states are doing their own thing as well. So there's not one harmonious federal position. If you leave it up to industry, what's the point of having a federal government? Well, there, there, there is a view that there's nothing wrong with laissez-faire economics, David. But the fact is, I think, to, to Roland's point, we needed a consistent coverage policy that was acceptable to 25 million people. Not one policy for 5 million people, one policy for 7 million people, one policy for 4.5 million people. I think that's, that's, that was the wrong move. But we live, we live in a, a, federal, uh, a federal environment. COVID, COVID's done that to us. I mean, governments have had their role getting rid of lead. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not to necessarily totally control, but even just give the environment that encourages and does, does some things that mean it encourages. Now, you know, saying that, well, I was a, a very young boy when in Victoria they brought in compulsory seatbelts. A lot of people were appalled by the fact that they had to wear seatbelts and well, seatbelts had to be put into cars. Mm. So those things are important for governments to... Governments sometimes have to intervene. And I think that's, that's uh, Roland's point and... Uh, I agree that in, in, in regards to infrastructure, governments need uh, to do more in regards to green vehicles, electric vehicles. The new Kia Sportage has driveaway prices from 34700 to $55,000. We have also produced a video of the launch of this vehicle. Go to drivenmedia.com.au. You're listening to Overdrive. Perhaps the fastest growing segment of the new car sales of late has been the ubiquitous dual cab ute. However, it's the premium end that has grown with prices well above $60,000. But value for money utes are well represented with LDV releasing their new T60 Max dual cab ute. Originally released here in Australia in 2017, the LDV has slowly carved a following for their products. The new model comes in two versions, the entry-level Pro and more equipped Luxe versions. They both have the same 2-litre engine with a choice of 6-speed manual or 8-speed ZF automatic transmission. The Pro is aimed more at the work ute base with a higher payload and fabric seating. The Lux, more at the recreational user with leather heated seats and more comfort features. 
As you would expect, they are competitively priced, starting from $33,990 through to $40,490 as a driveway price for ABN holders. Ride and handling are good, and the new motor performs well when pushed along. The 160-kilowatt, 500-newton-meter combination is amongst the best in class, and sure to make some people look at this ute over others. I'm Rob Fraser. You're listening to Overdrive. They say that higher density is a way to perhaps better compact our cities and make public transport and other things possible. But how do we achieve higher density? And how do we make the maximum use of car spaces? Well, there is a story in Seattle, which I would like our good friend Brian Smith to reflect on. G'day, Brian. Hey, David. This is a Winnebago, very old style, very squarish body, of which someone has extended the top. I'm not talking about a pop-up roof line that you might drive to a camping area and apply to get a bit more space. I'm talking about something that, well, it's almost a shanty, a plywood shanty built on the top, obviously not meant for the vehicle to move, but meant to be, well, a bit more roomy than your typical live-in-the-car circumstances. I'm impressed with the ingenuity, David. Uh, The neighbours I know are not happy with this. So there's a bit of a homelessness problem in Seattle, and it involves uh, often people living in vans and cars on the street. And so already the idea of these, what the Americans call recreational vehicles, parked on the side of the road and people living in them is already a concern to the neighbours. But this is a full-on second story made out of plywood plonked up on top of this old Winnebago with a, a kind of a ladder to the rear. It's not a, a beautiful-looking design. It's uh, been probably put together by the, the sort of people who perhaps designed the uh, the James Packer Tower at um, <laughs> uh, in Sydney. But uh, as bad as that, it does look a, a little unsightly, but there's no doubt a family living in this thing and they maybe don't have any alternatives. So there's a bit of an uh, ingenuity here in creating some more space in this uh, above this Winnebago. In a rich neighbourhood. It is a wealthy neighbourhood. In the photograph here, there's, a, there's an old sort of wrecked boat in front and a bit of junky furniture on the street. It's not terribly attractive, but hey, people have to live, David. The great thing about it, though, Brian, is that you didn't have to get council approval. I wondered, though, whether you could make the best of both worlds of it and do that on stilts and then just drive the car out from underneath. And and would this not be making much more use of a parking lane than in many other circumstances? Whilst also reserving the space for when you come back. Yes, or if someone parked underneath it, although then just the kids above would make too much noise. Bang on the roof of the car, David. Is there a rumour that they're going to try and make a, the block program out of <laughs> restoring these types of vehicles? David, they don't trade in sort of social improvements, so I, I think they'd walk away from this one. <laughs> and conspicuous consumption, that's what they trade I, in, I, isn't And I love the neighbours don't sort of go to, look, I don't like having poor people here and it's unsightly. They try to find other reasons why they don't like this, so they're... They're a little bit concerned that the the folk living in these cars might have more rights than them, because <laughs> if they wanted to add a story, they'd have to have per- permits to do that. They're also say they're concerned: what if it falls? What if it topples over? So someone could be hurt. You know, it's the it's that kind of faux concern that really they they just don't want people down on their luck living near them. I certainly like the 
like the idea that um, you know these people have got it better than them because they they've been able to do this extension without an approval. <laughs> Brian, I look forward to it then. Me too, David. And that's Brian Smith, our resident expert in things to do with traffic engineering, transport planning, and the absurd. You're listening to Overdrive. City driving can get you down. Lots of traffic, hard to find parking spots, and plenty of noise. This week I've been driving the Kia Rio GT, which is an ideal city runabout. It's small, cute, and comfortable for everyday driving. It's also packed with little features that make city driving better. There's an 8-inch touchscreen, a 6-speaker sound system, wireless Apple CarPlay, an Android Auto connectivity, and climate-controlled air conditioning. The seats are supportive and overall, visibility is excellent, while parking is a breeze. Our 1-litre turbo petrol engine and 7-speed dual-catch transmission provides zippy performance along with outstanding economy, no matter how much traffic there is. The beauty is that the Rio GT is also a great weekend escape vehicle with enough room for all your luggage and enough performance to make longer trips comfortable. Ideal for a couple, it also can take a few friends when needed. Rio GT comes with a 5-star and cap safety rating. Key's awesome 7-year unlimited kilometre warranty and cap price servicing. Priced from a touch under 25000 plus usual costs, it's a perfect first car as well. I'm Brianna Fraser. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Kia's executive staff, Alan Zervis, James Scrimshaw, Chloe Fraser, Brian Smith, Rob Fraser and Paul Just for their help with the program. Overdrive is syndicated across Australia on the Community Radio Network. There's more information at drivenmedia.com.au or past programs and podcasts on iTunes and Spotify or there's our Facebook page, Overdrive City Driven Media. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening.